Good morning and welcome. We say oftentimes this is God's house, and if we're all God's children, then welcome home. I want to invite you to take a few breaths just to welcome yourself into this sacred place. Just take a breath. Let's worship the living God. Standing or sitting, let us join together in the call to worship. Where is our hope today? Take hold of the gift of salvation. May our lives be transformed daily. And to those in trouble or need, may we share with love. And when we are troubled, let us worship our God. So we're going to do our opening hymn today on our guitar, but my fellow guitarist is actually ushering too. So, Marsha. I'm wondering if, could you go tell Rebecca out there that I, I need her guitar skills? So I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna pause here for just a second. We'll let a few more people come in. You're welcome to find the hymn in your hymnal. It's number 402. This would be a, oh, she's, she's totally disappeared. That's okay. She might join us midway. Wouldn't that be fun? That's all right. We're not worried. We're just going to sing together with one guitar. It'll be great. So please join me. How lovely, Lord, how lovely is your abiding place. My soul is longing, fainting to feast Seated. 
I do want to welcome you here to Westminster. What a joy it is to be together this morning. If you're new to our worshiping community, a special welcome for you. We've got coffee and tea and donut holes set up outside, and I do invite you after worship to head out there and maybe meet someone you haven't yet had a chance to meet. Um, also, on that same vein, in the during the offering, those of you sitting here in the center pew, if you grab that pew register and sign it and pass it down the aisle, pass it back, um, that way you can see the names of the people that are worshiping near you. If you're new to us, um, if you want to add some contact info, that'll enable us to be in touch with you later this week. So let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray together. Dearest God, prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, hear the good news that you are God's beloved. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are free. So receive the new life that Christ offers. Thanks be to God. Amen. And as we continue with our time of prayer, having prayed the community prayer in one voice, now is the time when you are invited to share the prayers that are in your hearts and minds today. So if you have something to share with us, I invite you to just raise your hand and let us know. I'll start. Um, these beautiful flowers on our, on our shelf up there. Um, thank you, Joy, to Carol Gunn. It was your birthday, right? And on her birthday, she received a bunch of flowers, and she's like, well, these shouldn't just beautify my own house. Uh, so she came and set up a bouquet for us for, for this morning. So thank you, and happy birthday, Carol. Other joys or concerns, Ruthie? So Ruthie's niece and her husband are in our prayers. Um, husband Brian has been diagnosed with MS. He's in his early 40s. And what you said, it has rocked their whole world. Um, so many things to figure out, including how they are going to run their small business going forward, how they're going to pay for all the medications. So prayers for them. Yeah. Others? All right. Let's have just a few moments of quiet. 
uh, as we hold not only the prayers spoken aloud, but the prayers you know, held within the silence of our own hearts. We'll have a few moments of quiet, and then we'll join in the Lord's Prayer together. So let us pray. Gracious God, you long for us to hear that in your heart is love and blessing. And you long for us to embody your way of love in all the facets of our lives. So as we worship together today, draw us in to the holiness of you, the holiness of everyday life, the holiness of each other. And hear us now as together we pray the prayer that your Son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven.
props I need to go get as you all are making your way forward. <laughs> Jeff is like, yes, props. You got to have some props. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Welcome. Have a seat. Be comfortable. So um, I thought that it would be nice to fill up this cup, maybe to share it with someone who might be thirsty. You know, always good to have some extra water around. So I thought I'd fill up this cup with this one. Then, then each cup can have a little water, more to go around, okay? So I'm just going to fill it up. Wait a minute. Hmm. This doesn't seem to be working. I'm trying to fill it up. Okay, there's a slight problem here. It's hard to fill up a cup with another empty cup. That's never going to work. I mean, I, no, no, that's never going to work. So, hmm. I need something uh, it's true. I can fill it up with air, but, but I, I, hold on. I need a third prop. Let's see. Oh, wait a minute. I just so happen to have my water bottle back there. So here's what I can do. I can fill up this cup. All right. Okay, so that's, that's full now. Oh, and I'm spilling everywhere. Luckily, it's just water. No worries. And then... 
Now I can fill up this cup. Oh, look, it's working. Okay, and so now, now there's a little bit in it. There's more to go around now. But so yeah, I promise this is not a magic trick. They're just, they're really. There's just water in both of them. Just water. It's not gonna. It, I promise, just water. But my point being, this cup had to be full, right, before it could help out this cup, right? I couldn't fill up an empty cup with another empty cup. That just doesn't, that just doesn't even work. So, so I was thinking that that's kind of how it works with God, right? God is always encouraging us to go out and love, to go out and serve, to go out and be kind and to care for others. But in order to do that, in order to share God's love and share our love with other people, it's important for us to be filled up with God's love first, right? And so God does that all the time. God is always filling us with God's love, with God's spirit, which, you know, filling the cups with air was kind of interesting because we sometimes think about the spirit as wind or as air. So we get filled up when we come here to church. We get filled up by just living our lives as children of God. We get filled up when we pray. We get filled up all the time. So then we're full of God's spirit and full of God's love, and then we can go out and share it, right? But it's important for us to take time to remember how much God's love God loves us. You know how we breathe at the beginning of every worship service? Remember how God's breath and God's spirit fills us? That's so important because then that allows us to go out and help others. So we've got to fill ourselves up and then go help to fill other people up. That's how it works the best, all right? So you all are headed out to Sunday school. I see Sharon and Sally and Fred all back there ready to welcome you. All right, and we're going to sing you out. So, go now in peace, go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. So, hold, hold on a second. All right. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Deuteronomy. Listen for how the Spirit speaks to you through these words. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep God's commandments, God's ordinances, and God's statutes that I am commanding you today. When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself. Forgetting the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions, God made water flow for you from flint rock. God fed you in the wilderness with manna, and your ancestors did not know to humble you and to test you, and in the end, to do you good. 
Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is God who gives you power to get wealth. So with God, so that God may confirm God's covenant that God swore to you, to your ancestors, as God is doing today. If you do forget the Lord your God and follow other gods to serve and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord is destroying before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Susan. Our second reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Please listen to what the Spirit may be saying to us. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we had food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives us who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, it is he who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion, Amen. As for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The United States has about 4.25% of the world's population, and yet we consume four times that amount in the world's resources. Somewhere between 16 and 17% of the world's energy resources are consumed here in our country. We have a lot. We spend every year about $46 billion on pizza. That's a lot of slices. We spend $60.4 billion every year on video games. And I know, Joan, you don't play a lot of video games. 
but some people do. And maybe if you don't play video games, maybe this is, connects a little more. We spend $21 billion a year at Starbucks. I couldn't find the number of how much we actually drink in coffee, but Starbucks themselves think they own somewhat, somewhere between 10 and 20% of the United States market share. So 10 to 20%, $21 billion, you can do the math on that. We have a lot. We're rich. The World Health Organization uh, estimates that about 2.3 billion people in the world today don't have basic, uh, ac don't have access to basic sanitation services because the water is not clean where they live. The CDC estimates that 2 billion people, not quite as many, one of their primary sources of drinking water is contaminated with fecal matter. That's disgusting. So when you and I walk out into that hallway and get a sip of water out of the water fountain, two billion people look at us and say, rich. When you get water out of the tap and have a cup, have a glass for yourself, the rest of the world looks at us and says, rich. 15% of the world owns a car. And it doesn't matter what kind of car they have, it just owns a car. That means 85% of the world are looking at us with our cars and they say, rich. Even to the ones who are driving 2012 Honda CRVs with the rusted roof rack and 200,000 plus miles and the warning light that we can't get to turn off and the worn out steering wheel, 85% of the world looks at me driving our car and says, rich. But I know, we look around, there are people that have so much more. They have two cars, three cars. Sometimes they have three cars and two people, or four cars and three people. We have extra cars. We are so blessed. There are about 2.2 billion children in the world today. And 3% of them live here in the United States, about 73 million. And yet we imported 25% of the world's toys came to our country. 25% of the world's toys came to our country. That's not counting the ones we make here for ourselves. For the 3% of children in the world who live here, 99% of those toys live at 842 Reichert Avenue in Nevada, California. <laughs> A weekend or so ago, our children had a birthday, and we have twins, so everything comes in double, you know. <laughs> we have a lot. We spend $76.9 billion a year on shoes. Shoes. Interestingly, the World Food Program uh, guesses that if we spent, if we wanted to end world hunger, by the year 2030, in eight years, it would cost us about $40 billion a year. $40 billion, and we spend $76.9 a year on shoes. So you don't have to give up all your shoes. If you just bought half the amount of shoes you were going to buy this year and use the rest to combat world hunger, we could end that problem. We are so rich. We have all the toys, we have all the food, we have the clean water, we have all the stuff. But we're not happy. <laughs> when 
you survey other countries similar to ours in wealth and uh, development, no matter the metric you measure, we rank towards the bottom in mental health, spiritual health. You can look at the Commonwealth Fund. They have a huge database of all these different metrics of whether people feel like they're depressed, they know someone who's depressed, someone who needs help, wants help, and we rank at the bottom, among the bottom, in every single metric. I remember there was this bumper sticker uh, where people would put stickers on their notebooks and things, and it was a quote from Malcolm Forbes. It said, whoever has the most toys in the, en in the end wins. We've got the most toys. But aren't we losing? You know, I have to confess something to you. I was hesitant to share this with you, to talk about this and make worship about this topic. Uh, because it's uncomfortable. I was afraid you wouldn't be happy about it. And it's stewardship season. So it made me even more anxious that you would think this was some diabolical plan to twist your arm out of another dollar. But that's not how this came up. I could show you how this came up. You see, back in July, Rob asked me if I could take some of the Sundays in September. And after some going around, I said, yes, sure, I could do September 25th. He said, terrific. And so off we go. The way this normally works is one of us will sit in our office or somewhere and just ponder, what should the worship service be about? <laughs> and so I sat wondering. And I did the polite thing. I texted Rob and said, you know, this is your pulpit most of the time. Is there a theme that we're doing? Is, are we in the lectionary? And as he is always so gracious, he says, you know, kind of go where you want to go, but we've been in the lectionary. So I open my computer and I go open my Google machine and I go looking through the PCUSA lectionary September 25th. Now, for those of you who don't know what the lectionary is, it's basically a three-year reading plan that we use that covers most of the major parts of the Bible. And for each Sunday, there are several different readings that sort of follow a theme and a topic. And so I get to September 25th, and I start reading the passages that have to pertain with the topic of the day. And I start to feel a little uncomfortable. And so I do what most of us do. I read, and I sit, and I pray for a while. God, which of these things would you want us to consider? And there was a stirring in my heart that made me uncomfortable. I knew that this had to be it, that it had to be First Timothy and a conversation about wealth and giving, as uncomfortable as that is. So I, pr I started writing. I did the best I could. And then someone, probably Bethany, who keeps her calendar much better than I do, it was reminded to me that this is stewardship season. <laughs> that we're already going to be talking about money. And that made me even more uncomfortable. So I prayed again. <laughs> it, uh, it wasn't really like that. It was more a prayer like this, like just out of exhaustion and needing relief. And I went back to writing. And so here we are. I bring all this up to say that this is not my fault. Uh, Ron knows the lectionary better than I do. Bethany knows it better than I do. Somewhere, these church leaders said this should be the topic for September 25th, and I landed on it, so just please don't shoot the messenger, okay? 
Because I know if you're anything like me, you've been at these gatherings where people talk about the plight of the poor and the inequalities in our society and how much we have the wealth and excess. And if you're anything like me, you're just sitting there waiting to hear, where do I write the check? <laughs> Who do I give the money to? You got me, I feel guilty. Where do I send the check? And if that's the message you get today, then I, as the messenger, have failed. I have failed, if that's what we learn. If the only thing that we, including myself, gain out of the songs and the scripture and the topic of the day is simply how to relieve ourselves of this frustration by writing a check, then I have failed. It's interesting to me that Paul uses this phrase towards the end of this encouragement to Timothy. He uses this phrase, the treasures of a good foundation. That when you are generous, when you do these good things, you're creating this treasure of a good foundation. And in a money-obsessed culture like ours, we tend to hear treasure and we think money, we think wealth, we think investments, we think a chest with gold coins, we think of money, we think of our assets. Those are the things we think about. We say things like, oh, we're going to pay it forward. Isn't that just another investment so you can have some return later? Is that really generosity? And so he uses this phrase, and if you read the whole letter, the whole chapter of that letter, he doesn't tell them to sell everything they have. He doesn't tell them to feel guilty. He just reminds them to be generous and to share. He reminds them of how much they have, some how much they have, and how much they should be willing to share. It has hardly anything to do with material wealth. It has to do with spiritual health. Because for so many of us, how we deal with pain and suffering is another financial matter. We just got to put more money into it. And so it's sort of as if we buy happiness for ourselves and we feel like we can buy happiness for others. There's a man named Daniel Cordero. He's second from the right in this picture. And uh, Dr. Dorji Wongchuk, he is on the far right. Cordero was working on his dissertation on emotional intelligence, this idea that we can understand people's emotions. And he was studying how do humans process this? And are some cultures different from others? And so he had a team of college students that traveled the world to interview people, show them video and pictures of people expressing human emotion, grief, sorrow, excitement. And he also shared stories of them. Grief, sorrow, excitement, pride, joy. And this being a study of all humanity, they felt the need to go to some of the more remote regions of the world. So they find themselves in this remote part of Bhutan, 33 miles from any major part of civilization, little to no electricity, no TV, no internet, detached from the world. Will people here recognize the emotions of others around the world? And he said, you know, they actually did. They're very accurate at noticing people's emotions. But there was one that they couldn't seem to figure out. And it was contentment. And they were a little puzzled by this. Why this particular emotion? Why don't they, why can't they seem to recognize contentment when they see it? And Dr. George uh, says, well, part of that is because 
We don't really use that term here very often. That term is for the most enlightened of our society. It's a spiritual term that rarely gets used only to certain people in very specific cases. It's just something you don't hear a lot about. The word they use for contentment means the knowledge of enough. And it's hard to gain that knowledge of having enough. When uh, Cordero heard this, he said the hair kind of stood up on his arms and he recognized something. And his work would complete on emotional intelligence, but his career would move towards contentment versus happiness. And the difference between the two. He recognized that in the Western world, most of us are very much influenced by how we achieve happiness. There are tons of books you could find on Amazon about how to get happiness. But in ancient cultures of the East, the interest isn't about happiness, it's about how do you be content. And he put it this way, he said, if I gave you a thousand dollars, that would make you happy, wouldn't it? <laughs> of course it would. Here's a thousand dollars, but eventually, you're going to need another thousand. And you're going to need another hit. You're going to need something to reproduce that sense of joy. And it's unsustainable. It doesn't work eventually. And I know, again, if, well, going back to these uh, friends here, Dr. George, he had arranged all these amazing experiences for the people that had traveled there to do this study and this research. And when they left, they gave him a check that was far above and beyond what they had originally contracted to give him. You know, he had a, arranged a, a tea with the king, all this kinds of stuff. And when they gave him this sizable check, he said, thank you. I can use this to finish the artwork in our contentment village. Now, if he would have taken that check and bought a pair of shoes, none of us would have judged him. We would have all said, hey, you earned it. I mean, he was a doctor, and his life isn't as well off as this graduate school 20-something who showed up in his village with so much more. He deserves it. He earned it. And there is some difficulty for us to consider our hard-earned dollars. And I'm with you. I've had at least two jobs almost my entire adult life. They are hard-earned dollars. And for many of us, we hear this call to generosity, to sharing. We hear the reading that says, don't be haughty. Remember your God. And we think, but you don't understand. I worked hard for this. It's mine. I sacrificed for this. It's mine. But the writer of Deuteronomy reminds us that it is not your power. It's a power that comes from God that you accumulate wealth. And I think this reading is so apropos for our time. This writing in Deuteronomy takes place a few generations after the people have come out of Exodus, come out of slavery, and they're in the promised land. So people are starting to accumulate wealth now. Some people have really nice houses in the promised land, apparently. And people are forgetting where they've come from, what the sacrifices of their ancestors have done to give them the opportunity to have what they have. And that's hard for a lot of us, too. I don't know about you, my parents, both sides of our family, 
immigrated to this country before the Revolutionary War. We've been here messing up this place for 300 years. We've been here a long time. I was with uh, my wife, one of her cousins was getting married, and it makes me emotional thinking about it again. We were at the dinner rehearsal, and uh, the rehearsal dinner, rather, and you know, there's the part where the groom and the bride give speeches and say thank you to everyone. And here's this first-generation Filipino, and this first-generation Sri Lankan, thanking their parents for all the sacrifices they made to come to a foreign country and make something of themselves, so that their children could have even more opportunities. My ancestors did that 300 years ago. I'm far removed from that, and maybe you are as well. I need the reminder that it wasn't my power that got the wealth that we have. Not that it's very much. You've seen my salary. It's in the budget. You vote on it every year. <laughs> but when I think about my hard-earned dollars, I need the reminder that it is not by my power that it's come to me. It's not just by the power of my ancestors. It's by all those in our society who sacrifice on our behalf. Our neighbors who educate our children, who keep electricity going, who fight fires, who keep us safe, all the different servants in our community who help us get to where we're going. I mean, let's be real. It's hard to talk about money and how we spend it. It's hard to have those conversations and introspection about how do I spend my money? I say things like it's better to give than to receive, but is my life truly a reflection of that? This isn't about just what we do with our money. It's a question of who we are as humans, what kind of life we want to have, and what kind of life we want others to have. How we place value on others and the things around us. Is it defined by dollar signs? Because I know it's hard. We are bombarded every day with this message that if you just get the one more thing, then you'll be happy. If you just get that one more thing, then it'll be okay. And the people around us, we see what they have and we imagine, gosh, if I just had what they have, then I'll be happy. And we forget that it's the contentment of enjoying what we have that brings true joy. That's what Paul calls real life. Some of us, it's like we feel like we're caught on a treadmill and we're just running and running and running or a row machine or a peloton and we're riding and riding. And we just keep working ourselves to get the next thing and the next thing and we never enjoy the things we have. We lose our rest. And so it's hard but Jesus' followers, you know, they weren't known for racing after those sorts of things. What they were known for was clothing the naked, bringing water to the thirsty. What they were known for is feeding the hungry, inviting the stranger in. They were known for their generosity. That's what they were known for. Jesus says it's hard for the rich to enter the path of God. It's hard. And we are rich. We have a lot. And while some may have more than others, it is hard for the rich. Jesus says it's the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve others. 
Sometimes it's hard to serve. It requires humility that I'll be okay, that I have enough to give. Am I worthy of giving? Of course you are. The reason that you have been blessed with all that you have is so that you can be a blessing to others. That was the agreement in, early on in the Bible with Abraham. I am going to bless you so you can be a blessing to others. So I ask you, how are you going to bless somebody? What will you give? Not what will you get. What will you give? Because all of us have something to give in our talents, in our time. And yes, we have something to give in our money. So may you ask the hard questions. May you ask the hard questions of how have I damaged my own soul and the souls of others in my pursuit of all these things that are going to go away one day. May you ask the question of how does my life reflect that idea that it is better to give than to receive. May you ask the question, how can I enjoy more of what I already have? May you ask the question of how will I, how does my life show value in something other than dollar signs? How do I show value to the things of this world in something other than dollar signs? Amen. So our song during the offering this morning is participatory. Barbara and I would love for you to join in with us. The hymn number is written there in your bulletin, 519, I do believe. 519, thank you. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing it through together one time so you have a sense of what it sounds like. And then if you're sitting on this side, you are going to go back and start singing the verse with Barbara. 
At the same time, if you're sitting on this side, we're going to sing the chorus. So we'll have the verse over here, the chorus over here, all together in a, what certainly will be beautiful melody. Uh, but first, we'll sing it all through once so we know how it goes. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God. Ways 
You may be seated. As Jeff mentioned, we are in the middle of our annual stewardship season. Each week during worship, we'll have someone talk to us just a little bit about stewardship. So I'd like to invite Jim Gibbs to the front to share with us this morning. Well, this is very brief. Uh, the amount of the check should be. <laughs> just, just kidding, sort of. Um, so, uh, this is a tough act to follow, Jeff Shankle. So, um, but, uh, okay, so I'm going to speak, uh, uh, say something. And, um, I think the important uh, thing, well, the thing I'm going to try to do is to tell you uh, how being here for a while and getting involved and doing things uh, has made it possible. I now realize, uh, listening to Jeff, that uh, it gives you an opportunity to work on contentment um, because uh, Westminster is a, is a wonderful community. Lots of people, you know, doing their best to contribute and care. And uh, there's lots of opportunities to do something in addition to supporting the church financially. Uh, and so I thought I would just mention sort of, you know, what I've found that's been really, really good for me um, so we've, Martha and I have been here uh, probably close to 30 years, hard to believe. And uh, I didn't know, I was not a church person when we came in here. I followed her in here. She was raised as a Presbyterian. Uh, and, uh, and she's also a very good musician. So anyway, she jumped right in. and. Uh, the first thing that I did was, since I wasn't sure what to do, uh, I joined every Friday morning at 6.30 a.m. The, the men's group, which was, I mean, are you nuts, 6.30 in the morning? Uh, but uh, there was this saintly person, uh, Phil Economan, who led that group. Uh, who was an inspiration. And for him, this whole thing was really simple. He said, God is in here. Uh, you know, this is where I find him, and this is where I find him in you. And uh, so he really focused, that was his theme. He really focused on that. He found the good in everybody. Um, and he tried to get, you know, a group of 20 men of various ages, because men don't express themselves, their feelings very well. So it was a big challenge. But uh, I've been doing it ever since. It's a wonderful group and a great experience. We're still not very good at it, but you know, we're there. Uh, I, then I discovered there's this guy here named uh, uh, Chuck Quick. You may know him. And uh, at that time, uh, along with other church leaders, 
he was loading up a trailer with tools and taking 10, 20, 30, 40 youth from here, from, from other churches, uh, and going to Tijuana and building houses. Uh, and that was, I thought, that's a good thing. You know, that's really giving. I wonder what the, uh, morning, Chuck. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what the impact of that will be, of doing, of just going and working hard and doing good. Uh, what, will, what will I feel out of that? And uh, what I found, you know, it wasn't some, you know, flash of light from heaven or whatever. I found youth, terrific young people. You know, it's a dusty, dirty place where you're trying to build houses in Tijuana. And uh, they, just, they just jumped in. It was a terrific, uplifting experience. Uh, and the, what we received in, in joy from the families who had a house as a result of what we did was also uplifting. You can get those, you can get those experiences here. Um, well, sort of another, another learning experience I had was, was teaching Sunday school to middle school youth. Uh, that was a challenge, particularly because most of them were boys, and two of them were mine. Uh, and it was, you know, the whole thing was just barely under control. Um, Oh, and I, you know, I, I try, was trying to impart something out of the lesson, uh, but you know, you, you learn humility here uh, in spades. And um, uh, another big experience I had was, um, uh, you know, if you remember here, at some point you should become an elder, do your part. Uh, so I became an elder, and uh, and Doug Hunnicky, who was the pastor, uh, said, "Well, you know, what would you like to do?" And I said, "I have not a clue." <laughs> he said, "Oh, you can be the chair of personnel." <laughs> and then he said, uh, and then I learned that it was he felt it was time for him to retire, maybe. Um, so I had a very rich experience, humbling again, of, uh, of walking with Doug through the process leading up to his decision to retire. Uh, look, I, I have an electrical engineering degree. I have an MBA. I have no background in walking with someone through that kind of a decision. So humbling again. Um, I don't know if this is about contentment, but maybe some, something about humility. And uh, anyway, the, the last thing that was, was a really rich experience was uh, serving on the committee that looked for Doug's successor, um, which was, it was an adventure. You know, we started out with 300 resumes. Every pastor 
and the Presbyterian Church USA wants to be here. <laughs> and uh, we started as a group, there were 12 of us that started out, well, so who are we looking for? Um, and I can tell you, we were not looking for Rob. We were looking for, you know, an experienced mid-50s, uh, you know, someone who's, who's got it. And what we discovered was an extraordinary talent. Uh, and that was a revelation and also humbling. So uh, I get my message concludes with two things. One, support this place because it's amazing. And uh, do something. It's amazing what you'll get in return. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. You're one of the reasons that so many people want to come work here. So, yeah, all of you are. There are a lot of opportunities for, as Jim said, enlightenment and practicing contentment and joy that's all here on your bulletin. Uh, one thing that I want to point out to you, flag for you, is our women's retreat. That's because registration ends this week. Is that correct? Yes. So this week is your last chance to register yourself or someone else you know without telling them. And that's always a great way to do it. Hey, I registered you. We're coming. So one other announcement. Again, I talked about this uh, last week, but just again to bring it to your attention again so you know what we're doing. Uh, we started a gathering over the summer called the Sunday Supper Club. And we talked about how it's, what it sort of looks like. It's a gathering over a meal. We, it's a unique church gathering because you come and you're immediately given a job to chop onions or to uh, set tables or something like that. And part of the reason of that being, we found that of the people who don't attend a church in Marin County, the things that most people here want and need is community, joy, and purpose. And for those who find it here, we're so happy, but we worry about those who don't find it here. And you can come to this church or any church in Marin County and leave and never talk to a single person, and that's okay if that's you. But for those looking for community, uh, we tried to think about what would a gathering look like that addresses those three concerns of community and joy and purpose. So it's a different kind of gathering. The interesting thing about it is we didn't plan this in the beginning, but one of the things that we recognize is that gathering over a meal and conversation with a brief reading of the word is actually how the earliest Christians gathered before we had churches and all that kind of thing. You may or may not have known Christianity was an illegal religion in many parts of the world. Um, and as such, they didn't get to do all the things that we do. So how they gathered was over a meal in fellowship and community together, sharing with one another what's going on. And so in a strange way, while the Sunday Supper Club is a very different kind of worship gathering, it's actually historically maybe more authentic to the earliest Christian uh, gathering itself. And so uh, I bring that up again to say you're invited, you're included, uh, and everyone you know is invited and included. That's who it's for. For people that are looking and wanting and desiring relationships and uplifting community, looking for joy and a sense of purpose, that's why we've created it. We'll be there tonight. We'll be there every night going forward. So you can find out how to participate uh, anytime asking me or some of the others finding out their website.
So those are our announcements. If you would join me in uh, closing or sitting as we close in our final hymn, The Church of Christ Cannot Be Bound, number 766. If you are able, would you please stand? As you go from this place, may you recognize how much you are blessed. May you find happiness in what you already have. And may you be a blessing to those you see today in this day forward. Amen.